Well, this morning, I would like to make the case for gentleness. Gentleness. Recently, I had a confrontation with a driver. I was on my bike, and the driver was in a pickup truck, came up loud and fast behind me, uh, political bumper stickers. On the th- I, I, I'm not sure there was actually a shotgun rack in the glass, but my, maybe my brain just provided that little detail. But they came up hot right next to me as I'm riding along, and I will admit that I had moved out into the lane of traffic just a little bit because um, my wife Anne was riding behind me, and I want to make sure that there was a lot that they saw us and that there was lots of room for, for them to pass around. But then the, uh, the guy slowed down, and not in the kind of like I'm passing with care kind of way, it was more in the like, we're going to have words with each other kind of way. He slowed down, pulled the window down, leaned across the passenger seat and said, hey, you shouldn't be on this road. It's too dangerous for bicycles. And I was ready for this guy. I looked back and I said, did you see the sign you just passed? And he said, what sign? And I said, says bicycles use caution. And he said, no way. But, but that's kind of the church translation of what he said. He said, no way. And I said, yeah. And he said, that no way thing again. And I said, I bet you 50 bucks. <laughs> and he said, you're on. And he raced up the road, squeaked or, or, or 180 and went back behind me. And Anne, as I watched him, Anne, my wife, was like as white as she's ever been. Uh, what has just happened? Now, at first, I felt pretty good about this whole exchange. I'm not always that quick, um, but I had a good answer when this guy pressed me on it. And, you know, this is one for the little guy, right? I just turned a regular road into a $50 toll road for the guy because he's going to go back, see the sign, and uh, he's going to have to find another way to get to Angryville. Felt good about it until, that is, I got home and Ann and I had the conversation. So Ann goes, you know what, George, you can't, what were you doing? You can't say things like that to people anymore. You could have gotten us both killed. And I, I realized, okay, well, that's true. I, I, this was not me at my best. So let me ask you, how should a confrontation like that go? How should it really have gone? How do we talk about what we care about? How do we negotiate our disagreements? How do we approach our differences? How do we overcome the things that divide us? And does the Bible give us any guidance? Does our faith in Jesus make a difference? Well, I believe it can. And I want to talk about gentleness today. Would you please open up your Bible if you brought one on your phone? Turn to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. If you're looking in your Bible, you open it right to the middle. You hit Psalms, go one book to the right, and you'll get to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. If you're able, would you stand? Let's read this thing aloud together. I'm interested in the, in the NIV version, so we'll be putting that on the screen. Uh, When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This instruction comes out of of ancient Israel's royal court. Did you know this is where all the Proverbs come? 
It's parenting instruction, Proverbs. The royals and the elites of ancient Israel in the 10th century BC used the Proverbs to raise a generation of children with wisdom and with character in a dangerous world. And the 10th century BC was a dangerous world. A careless slip of the tongue could remove your head or launch a war. One wonders how different that was from our current day. Slate Magazine called 2014 the year of outrage. And they published a bunch of articles with titles like The Year in Liberal Outrage, The Year in Conservative Outrage, Outrage in the Endless Thanksgiving, and How Outrage Changed My Life. They put together a whole calendar. So each day in 2014, they had a short on what it was that our culture was outraged about. So I looked up my birthday, and I saw that on that day, we were outraged about a black actor that got cast uh, to play a supposedly white superhero. The year, uh, the, the, the year of outrage. That's what Slate called it. This year, uh, Harvard Business Review referred to this as the age of outrage. They ran an article that begins this way. Leaders in every sector are now dealing with angry stakeholders. You leaders in every sector are now dealing with angry stakeholders. And uh, the Oxford professor who wrote this article argues there are three reasons for this. In our current moment, there are three things that are happening, and, and I want to share them with you. Number one, many of us feel unhopeful about the future. Number two, many of us believe the game is rigged against us. And number three, many are being drawn to us versus them ideologies. Okay, so these things are happening right now. We're angry stakeholders. Leaders have angry stakeholders. And, you know, it's not just leaders. You've got angry family members. You've got angry uh, classmates. You've got angry teammates. You've got angry neighbors, uh, angry fellow citizens as we come to an election. And if I'm honest with myself, I might just admit that I can surprise myself from time to time and realize that I, too, can be an angry stakeholder. This is the age of outrage. So why talk about this now? The timing of this message is not accidental. I, I'm thinking of two things. Number one, we've got an election cycle coming up, maybe you've noticed. And I want to say we've seen this movie before in America. We have seen how the politics of grievance and hostility divide not only our country but our churches. And I wonder this time if the followers of Jesus might find a different way. I wonder if we might find a way to resist the formation of our news outlets and instead be formed more by the good news of Jesus Christ. I wonder if we'll find a way to practice civility with one another, to work towards the common good, and to believe in a world where Republicans, Democrats, independents, and whatever can live together in unity because of Jesus Christ. I wonder. So there's a, an election cycle coming up, and it just seems to me that we ought to talk, before we talk about politics, we ought to talk about how we want to talk about politics. See what I'm saying? And the second reason why I'm, I think this is timely is because today we begin a four-part conversation on what we call at UPC global culture. It's one of our five values, global culture. When we say global culture, what we mean is we open our lives to the world on our doorstep. We open our lives to the world on our doorstep. 
And what comes to our minds when we think about this is the throne of God. In Revelation 5 and Revelation 8, we're told that around the throne of God, every tribe and tongue and people and nation with all their distinctiveness gathers around the throne of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and there and only there we see him fully for the first time. And when we talk about global culture, we're talking about living into that reality today as we get ready for that moment. It's about opening our lives and opening our church to every tribe and tongue and people and nation. But let's be honest, that is not easy. There are lots of wounds here. We tend to racialize difference or, or overlook differences. And what God intends as a gift has for us become a massive and historical source of pain, division, and injustice. So here again, before we jump in and talk about race, let's talk about how we want to talk about race. Let's talk about gentleness. All right, so let's come back to our text. Proverbs 15.1, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, Proverbs are like puzzles. You should puzzle over them for a moment. They ask you to engage your imagination. So would you do that for a second? There's a word picture here. It's almost like a cartoon or a graphic novel. You're meant to picture an image. And here's what I picture. I picture someone coming towards you. Because notice the text says you're giving an answer. That implies you're responding to something. Someone is coming toward you. You're already in a situation. You're already before another person is coming towards you. They've done something or said something that requires an answer. Or a response. Okay, so someone's coming towards you. Then the next thing I picture is that the person who's coming forward towards you is carrying a bowl. I imagine like a silver bowl. And in that bowl, there are hot, burning embers, maybe even flames. And the reason I say that is because the writer here talks about wrath. Now, this word translated wrath is the Hebrew word for heat as in like a, someone with a fever, someone in a rage, someone with smoldering emotion it has got wrath. They're hot with emotion. Okay, so someone's coming towards you with a silver bowl. It's got embers, uh, maybe even flame coming. They're coming towards you, and it's time for you to respond. By the way, notice that wrath here is parallel with anger in the second half. And that word for anger is a, a characteristic. The Hebrew language uses the word nose for that because when you're really angry, your nose or your face fills with blood and you get flush and you get hot with anger. So, so, so here comes the bull, the fire, and the royal parent is saying to their children or their youth, okay, now you've got a choice. Now it's kind of a split frame, like a cartoon with two different frames. And the difference between the two is a word. It's what you say. So let's look at the second frame first. Here in this frame, you offer a, what's called a harsh word. What's a harsh word? Now, harsh word is not necessarily a loud word or a mean word. The word harsh is the word pain. It's, 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 it's used in Genesis 3 just of the pain of childbirth. So there's a hurt here. A, a harsh word is a word of pain or a word that touches pain. So if you speak a word of pain, it's like throwing gas on a fire and it will flare up. So the writer says a harsh word stirs up anger, 
but a gentle answer, but a gentle answer. Okay, here's the first frame. Here's the alternative. Here's the choice you could make. You could offer a gentle answer. Now, the word gentle in Hebrew means soft. It's used of a, a young goat or a calf. Soft, tender, delicate, sensitive, like strong hands. You know, if you were picking up a butterfly, you'd want to have soft or sensitive hands so you didn't damage or hurt the butterfly. You may have heard biblical scholars define gentleness in the Bible as strength under control. It's not weakness. It's strength under control. This is about being sensitive to the other, to be sensitive to the pain or the hurt or the emotion of the other. And if you have a gentle answer or a soft answer, it will turn the heat away. You'll get the person, but not the bowl with heat. It might still be there, but it's doused or it's dampened, dampered. You protect them from the heat that they're carrying. You protect yourself from the heat. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Your word decides which frame the conversation enters. So do you see that image? You you get the word picture? With that in mind, I I just wonder what I could have said, what I might have said to that guy in the truck when he came up. I probably should have asked my wife for advice. If you know Anne, you know she's the queen of gentleness. But I I do have to say, I want to say in my own defense, the truck guy started it. This guy, he, he started this whole thing. He came at me. He came in hot. He brought the fire. And, you know, it's so easy when somebody does that to use that as justification to return fire, right? All right, you punch me, I'm going to punch back. I don't care. I'm a Christian. Yeah. Oh, I'm a pastor. Yeah, well, let's go, man. You just gave me permission to go for it, right? So I was ready for this guy. I mean, he started it. And, by the way, I was right. I was right. Bicycles are allowed on that uh, road. The sign proves it, right? I mean, does, me, does being gentle mean that I have to tiptoe around the truth or only say what people want to hear? No. If you want to see it in the Proverbs, just look at the next proverb. Number two says, the tongue of the wise dispenses knowledge. That's truth. The, the mouth of fools pour out folly. That's falseness. Okay, so truth matters. And by the way, to his credit, he did go back and check. He did go back and look at that sign, so he knew that truth mattered. Being gentle, catch this, doesn't mean becoming what we call a false peacemaker. If you want to know more about false peacemaking, go back to the messages in February in the disruption series. Two messages, and please listen to those again because it ties in with this. Now, I didn't want to become a false peacemaker, but I could have responded better. I could have. This proverb helps me see that. I could have given a soft answer. And to be honest with you, there's something about this guy that seemed vaguely familiar, almost like I had met someone like him before. The reality is, as I think about it now, he was trying to help me, wasn't he? He was actually trying to help me. And he did seem afraid, like he was afraid of a dangerous world out of control. And we understand that. Like he was afraid of himself as a driver capable of hitting an inattentive cyclist. Like he was afraid of me as a threat to the safety and welfare of others on the road. Afraid maybe even for me. But out of this fear, he experienced anger. You know, he reminded me of somebody who had experienced real pain in his past. Someone trying to recover from hurt. And there's a lesson here, too. When someone comes at you angry, the greater the intensity the deeper the hidden pain beneath the surface. I want you to think about that. The greater the heat, 
the greater the hurt. When someone comes at you, it usually means there's hidden pain in their lives in that way. And this guy, he had pain. And my actions and my words somehow touched that pain, put fuel on his fire. And so what could I have said given that? Well, how about this? So he says, he comes up next to me and he says, hey, you shouldn't be on this road. It's too dangerous for bicycles. And I say, what if I say this? Yeah, it's a bad road, isn't it? I saw the warning sign about bicycles. Thank you for caring about me. I'll be careful. What if I had said that? I mean, that never would have come to mind in the moment. It took me weeks to figure that out. But those are soft words. And I think it would have changed the whole situation for both of us. See, A, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But you say, George, when we're talking politics, when we're talking race, I mean, I don't need parlor manners. I mean, this stuff really matters. This is life and death situation. The divisions are real. The world needs to change. We don't have time for polite talk. And, you know, and actually, my bike confrontation was a life and death situation, too. This sermon could save somebody's life if, if you're a cyclist. But, uh, but, but here's the thing. The question really isn't whether it's important or not, a big issue or a small issue or not. The question is, what will make the crisis better or worse? What will make it better or worse? Well, your words matter. James 1, verse 20 says, your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Wow. One commentator on Proverbs 15, 1 says, many conflicts arise not because the issues separating the parties are so great, but because the temperaments that people bring into a confrontation. It's not always the issue. Sometimes you're the issue. <laughs> Gentleness. How you talk about what you care about matters. This is not about manners. This is about changing the world one conversation at a time. And you can do this no matter who you are. I mean, even if you know, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can still do this. You can be gentle. You can be sensitive to the other person's pain. You can be aware of the hurt beneath the conversation. You can begin to empathize with them, respect them as an individual, give a soft answer, be gentle. We can all do this. But gentleness has a, a special meaning for followers of Jesus. Let me just say a word about that. And that's because God has confronted us in the gentleness of Jesus. God has confronted me and you in the gentleness of Jesus. Jesus is gentle. He says it himself as he introduces himself to us in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. He, he reveals the God who throughout the Old Testament again and again says, I am merciful and, and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. King David knew this God. He, he said, your gentleness in prayer to God, your gentleness has made me great. That's Psalm 18. Jesus says, blessed are the meek or the gentle. It's the same word in Greek. For they will inherit the earth. You will inherit the earth, you gentle ones. And then St. Paul tells us, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fills us, he makes us gentle. Mm. So, so we become gentle ourselves by receiving the gentleness of Jesus. This is God's plan for us. You know that... In the first century, 
People at that time expected the Messiah to come with fire. They read the end of the prophets and they were expecting a wrath burning like an oven, a fire that would tread down the wicked and just consume every, all the unrighteous. But the surprise was, here comes Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A glutton and a drunkard, they said, because he spent so much time with sinners. He, he walks among sinners, prostitutes and tax collectors and religious hypocrites, saying to them, I am gentle and humble of heart, saying to them, I forgive you your sins. He gave an answer that turns away wrath for me, for you, for us all, no matter who you are. You could be Democrat, Republican. You can be from Africa, Asia, Native. You could be from Europe. You could be rich or poor. You could be gay or straight. You could be pious or ungodly. He gives an answer for you that turns away wrath. This is what St. Paul is saying in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. The Bible says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, no, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth, he's talking about baptism, and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, the spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, what he's saying is you and I, we were in a confrontation with God, all of us. And we started it. We started it. And God would have been completely within his rights to crush us in wrath, to burn us up, but he doesn't. God gives us Jesus. God gives his own answer for our sin that turns away wrath for all of eternity. This is grace. This is the good news of the gospel. Friend, if, if you want to receive God's gentleness personally, you can do it today. You can let Jesus be your answer to God for your life. I want to urge you to come down after the service. Our prayer team will be here, and it, they would count it a privilege to pray with you and help you say yes to Jesus. Or you can come to upc.org slash Jesus and interact with us through our website. But I want you to know, here's what happens when you do that. Three things. Actually, three things that address the three concerns mentioned in that Harvard Business School review. Three things that we need in an age of outrage. The first is we get hope for the future. We get hope for the future. It's God is safe, we've, we discover in Jesus. God is safe. He has a plan for us and for all of creation. He's in control. He's utterly trustworthy. We see this on the cross. And ultimately, when I realize that God has a plan for the future, then I don't have to fix the person I'm talking with. I don't have to fix the situation. I don't have to somehow claw back a sense of control for myself. I can embrace my limits and lean into God's faithfulness and have hope for the future. The second thing that happens when we receive God's gentleness personally is we discover togetherness. There is no us or them at the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I've been forgiven a great debt. At the cross, I realize, oh my goodness, I'm no better than you. 
No matter what you've done or who you are, I will never be any better than you. The cross reminds me of that. It's a very helpful book by a guy named Scott Sauls. I recommend if you want to explore gentleness more in this proverb, read Scott Sauls' book, A Gentle Answer. This pastor says, Jesus and Christianity do not discriminate between good people and bad people, which is what the culture around you thinks, by the way. Instead, Jesus and Christianity discriminate between humble people and proud people, between people who say, I have a need, and people who say, I'm good. The cross, I remember my debt. I've been, I've been forgiven a great debt, and I'm humbled. And, and this is the social power of the cross. You, you see, your situation is much worse than you fear, and it's much greater than you could ever imagine. There's judgment on all of your sin, but then you're swept up to, into the arms of God's loving grace, and you're good. So, so it doesn't matter what the difference is. It could be race or politics or lifestyle or, or, or whatever, but at the cross, you're never worse than I am, and you're never loved less than I am. And so there's no us and them. It's togetherness. And then the third thing is we're equipped as agents of justice, to confront the rigged systems. And yes, there are rigged systems. We're equipped because Jesus is God's gentle word that will one day confront every pain, wherever it is in the world, wherever it is in your life. Jesus wins in the end. And he gives grace to the humble and he walks with them to speak a good word to that pain. Justice. So this is what the text says. A harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. I'm going to close today by teaching you a prayer, if, you, if you'll let me. Here's the prayer. Lord, soften my heart, soften my words. Lord, soften my heart, soften my words. It's a prayer for confrontations. It's a prayer for talking about what you care about, for talking about what somebody else cares about, whenever there's emotion involved. Before you engage, I want you to think about the bowl that they're carrying, the bowl that you're carrying, the embers, the emotion, the heat. And then ask the Lord to help with this. Ask the Lord to start with your heart, to be present to you. Lord, speak a soft word to me, to hear his grace, to hear the good news. To hear him say something like, George, I'm in control here. I have forgiven you a great debt here. You're an agent of justice here. And then ask the Spirit to to give you good words, to give you soft words, words that are sensitive to their pain, words that will bring understanding, maybe even healing, a gentle answer. You know, that guy came back, the, the truck guy, He did eventually come back. I'm not sure why it took him so long to get there. By the time he caught up with me, I was way up the road. Uh, But that was probably a good thing because by then both of us had cooled down. And I could hear the car racing up from behind again, and I could hear it slowing down again. But this time he came and gave me lots of room, a different kind of approach. He rolled down his window, and he looked at me humbly, and he said, I owe you $50. (laughs) And I said, Forget it. Don't worry about it. See, the debt was forgiven for both of us. There was grace. And then behind me, there's Anne, you know, riding uh, way back, and she's watching, and she sees the guy in the truck and the guy on the bike moving up the road together, talking as if they've been lifelong friends. Let's pray together.
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you have come to walk with us, that you've come to journey with us. We're different places in our faith journey, all of us, different places, but it's the same journey. And thank you that you're so gentle with us, that you're so gracious and humble and kind, that you walk with, it, with us and you know what we need and what we can hear and what we can take at a different time. And you give us so much time. Your forbearance is overwhelming. Your kindness is what leads us to repentance. We pray that you'd open our eyes and we might see. We pray that your spirit would soften our hearts that we might hear. We pray that you'd be with our lips and our speaking that we might be kind and we speak healing words to one another here in the church, in our neighborhoods, and wherever else you would, you would call us. May we have a reputation at UPC of being a gentle people, a gentle family, where people meet not just us and say, what a great church, but they meet you and say, what a great Savior gentleness of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.